0: Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. This is a pretty special double edition of the five questions. It kind of goes without saying who these fine folk are who were nice enough to let me join them and quiz them. So Though I took the time to record this introduction, I really think this doesn't need an introduction. It speaks for itself. So, with that, I will lead into uh, double five questions. Enjoy. That's another use for the ice pickers. Absolutely. Tilts up cool. the mics. So, I'm here with uh, Jimmy Duresta and Bill Lavosi. They were lucky to. Someone's out wearing the seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm here with uh, Jimmy Duresta and Bill Lavosi, and they were nice enough to let me help them install a 9,000 pound um, chalkboard. <laughs> So, I grabbed him for a second, and we're going to run through the five questions with him. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for helping. Oh, uh, no problem. Uh, so, there's three of us here. Let's just go through it, like, as a conversation. But these are the five questions we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Sure, what do you got? Um, so, first question is, how'd you
1: get into woodworking? Me? I was born into it. My dad always had a wood shop and he was trained in woodworking by his uncle, Tom. His uncle would take him on jobs. And that's how my dad got into woodworking with his with his uncle. And then when, as a kid, that's all my dad did for supplemental income. He was a New York City fireman, but he constantly was building things on the side. And uh, he was a Finnish carpenter growing up. Then we did fram- he did framing and handyman stuff and whatever anybody needed around the town where I grew up. And I was always going on jobs and being his helper. And that's how I got into it. And that's basically the bottom line. My parents split up in 1980, but my dad left a full wood shop in the basement because he saw that I was... Growing into it So he left it there I was 13 at the time was cool So he left me With a full wood shop That's a lot shorter
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> Before April 2015 I'd never built anything In my life And I think
1: uh, My wife and I Were out shopping
2: For furniture And something was Ridiculously expensive And I said I don't get why That's I could probably make that And so uh, She got me a table saw For my birthday And I found out It's a lot harder Than it looks But uh, I was hooked Now you know Why it's so expensive Now I know Why it's so expensive You're
0: one of those <laughs> I could make that, but yeah. now I can. So Yeah, you, that's, can. That's the <laughs> yeah you, you do ultimately get to that statement. It's just, uh, it just takes a little bit more time and money than you could ever imagine.
1: Yep. All right, so what's your favorite tool? Me, probably everybody knows is the bandsaw, so. I Because uh, there was a time in my life when I was in New York City. I moved from Long Island. I left that shop that I grew up with when I was about 25. I moved to New York City, and my biggest requirement was I always made money from my shop, so I always needed to have at least tools around me. Mm-hmm some tools and I brought my bandsaw was in my living room in my third floor apartment. How'd you bring that into New
0: York city? Most people don't move into a space with a shop. So it was in the yeah, living room.
1: It was in my living room. So I, for about a year I used the bandsaw in my living room and it was the one tool I could cut straight lines. But at the time, I was prototyping mostly, so I didn't necessarily need like the precision. I was prototyping, and I only needed wood to cut plastic and okay. styrene and stuff. I was doing a lot of model making for the toy business, but eventually, I ended up getting the storefront downstairs, and that's when I brought my table saw in. In fact, the table saw we gave Tim to today yeah. was in my was in my space in the storefront for a little while in nineteen ninety two to three you know, to four. The storefront. Were you just marketing your woodworking, or no? I was just doing toys at the time. So from nineteen ninety till two thousand and eight. I had done a lot of woodworking, but my primary income was making prototypes for the toy business. But I did woodworking for myself every time I moved into a new shop, which I had three in the city. We built out the shop and, you know, I built that stuff in my apartment. I'm always making my own stuff. But it really was like into the 2000s after I did a couple TV shows that I, started getting phone calls a lot from interior designers to, Hey, you did this on TV. Can you do this for me? Hey, you did that. Can you do this for me? And I started with a couple of regular interior designers and I slowly gravitated away from the toy business into just full-time making stuff in around 2003 and four or five. Okay. Bill
2: favorite tool, huh? Um, well, none of my tools make me like significantly more money than any of the others, but I'd say my favorite is probably an angle grinder just because it's fun. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing, yeah, well, (laughs) <laughs> Jimmy just got hit 10 minutes ago.
1: <laughs> my knuckles are bleeding from an angle grinder.
2: <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter whether I'm welding. Uh, that's aside from a hacksaw, that's the only way I've got in my shop to cut metal is the angle grinder. But I can be shaping wood with it. I can be grinding down my terrible welds with it. I can be cutting metal with it. It's just, it's fun. You know, it, it gives you, there's, there's a very like visceral satisfaction to, to putting a flap
1: disc on and just going to town on something. That absolutely is. You ever yeah. try the uh, Arbitech turbo plane? Nope. Oh, that's the wood thing. Yeah, yeah, I've used it a little bit. I got one. That's the one with the big, like, kind of planer blade on one end Yeah, I'll have to give
2: that a shot. It's in one of my core videos,
1: but I was cutting a piece of wood that was nearly rotted, so it wasn't really giving me the enjoyment that it probably would if it was a fresh piece of like end grain oak or something. Mm. In uh, in your woodworking, who has influenced you the most? Mm. I guess you might say uh, Sam Sam Maloof is who I think about a lot when I'm doing bandsaw carving, although I didn't know about him. I was doing bandsaw carving on my own until I got to know him and then I realized how successful he was at freestyle bandsaw cutting. And, mm. and you know, I said, oh, wow, just, I was already on this path, but this gentleman perfected it, so I kind of studied him a little bit more on YouTube. But uh, I guess I could say him as far as – I. I I guess Norm, this sounds silly, but Norm Abrams and and uh, Marks, David Marks, had a great show for years. And David Marks is also, uh, I think, a friend and a mentor to The Wood Whisperer. Yeah, I know yeah. that I've seen those guys associated together online. So years ago, David Marks had a great woodworking show, but, you know, it just didn't have all the BS and drama that TV needs. It was, it was <laughs> too informative and too right to the point for TV, unfortunately. I remember when they canceled that show, I was like, God, what a sin that TV can't support an intelligent woodworker who's very skilled inspiring people so yeah so you know all the typical guys on tv i suppose okay how about you bill this guy me yeah <laughs> you oh i so think you're pointing uh, at david marks
2: <laughs> no the first uh because like i said it was only maybe two years ago i said oh i can make that so i start looking up how to do it on youtube and the first person I came across was uh, Matthias Wandel. Okay. And I went, immediately went, there's no way I could do that. You know, he's dealing with thousands of an inch. He's calibrating his table saw perfectly. I know I don't have the temperament for that. I don't a have few, the patience wait, wait, for that. Wait, wait,
1: This is a few thou off, so I'm going to change it. That's my Matthias impression.
2: <laughs> well, I knew I couldn't handle that. But at some point, I stumbled across <laughs> one of Jimmy's videos. And it was less about perfection and more about getting it done. Not that the stuff wasn't beautiful, because it is absolutely but it's the fact that you know if you make a mistake that's fine you just press on with it and something will come out the other side it might not be exactly what you had in mind but it'll get done
1: It'll I think be, it'll be a few thou off. But that's I think that's one of
0: the beauty, beautiful things about woodworking is you get people who count measure in the thousandths, And I'm certainly not one of those people, but there mm. are plenty of them out there. And then you get people who say, oh, it fits. I have no idea how big it is. And we move on. And woodworking can support both and everything in, the, in between them. Yeah. I've
2: become a big fan of I learned a fancy word for it. Relative dimensioning.
0: Yes. Relative dimensioning, which is, is
2: put it up against the thing, draw a line on it where it's supposed to be and then cut it. <laughs>
1: You know what, and it it fits, yeah, and it fits. I never knew that was what that was called, but I always say, Let's the way I say it is, I say, Let's just work in real life. If we have a piece of wood that could fit over to where it's got to go, let's put it in place and draw a line on it, yeah, yeah. That's great. Relative dimensioning and learn something every day.
0: Now you can charge more when you put that in your proposal.
1: That's right. I'm gonna do relative dimensioning and be like, Oh wow, that's fancy. That just means I (laughs) won't use my ruler. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, in your woodworking.
0: What has been your biggest stumbling block, and what did you learn to overcome it?
1: precision I think I'm genetically predisposed to not be precise, and so it's funny I Daniel, who's going to be in town this week from switch and lever, I wrote to him once I said, "I wish I could be as precise as you and it comment, and I meant it, and he wrote back. He says, "I wish I could be as unprecise as you." <laughs> and he meant it so you know we both have our uh, cross to bear mm. But, you know, I work within the limitations of, I try my best to make things precise. And part of it is, you know, I kind of have like a woodworker's mentality in a machinist world. We were talking about that today and where it's like, you know, instead of bringing the drill bit up through the stages till you're the right domain, you know, till you're the right diameter, I just go right with the half inch drill bit and say, ah, screw it, let's see what happens. Right. And then, you know, it doesn't come out precise, but it's just a matter of patience sometimes that I don't have. Sometimes it's a matter of, you know, me believing that I just don't have it, and so I don't try. Is it it also knowledge of the medium? Like, things that would be precise in wood
0: are not precise in metal because they're just Uh, different
1: techniques? A little bit of that, yeah. Definitely a little bit of that. And, you know, like, my biggest – one of my biggest mistakes is I always – you know, I I take – I spin too fast and feed too fast when I'm, like, using the machine (laughs) equipment. i got to remember it's small bites, slow speed, you know, that kind of thing. So – that's probably my, my, my biggest gripe is that I'm just not as precise as I should be and remember to be as patient as I should be. Because I always have to finish the movie, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. What about you, Bill?
2: My biggest problem is getting outside my head. Like okay. I have a tendency to overthink stuff or to, to intellectualize it too much and I find that I waste immense amount of time just going, Well, what if I did it this way? Well that might work, okay. Uh, oh, but I could do it that way instead, or I could use a box joint, or I could use a rabbit, or I could use dovetail. And it's, you know what? Just start doing it, and if it doesn't work, you wasted less time, and you can move on to the next thing. And now you know that that doesn't work, and you won't try it again in the future. You just saved yourself time for the rest of your life. Right. So that's that's my biggest thing, and I, that just comes from inexperience, I think.
0: Okay. Uh, last, last question is, how has the internet influenced your woodworking?
1: Uh, for me, personally, I think... It's forced me to be, well, I'm going to start again because I made noise. For me, I think it's forced me to be a little bit more careful, a little bit more daring, uh, get outside of using Craig jig because it's boring to see somebody build something with a Craig jig all the time. And it's also obviously not, you know, considered fine woodworking at all. Um, It's made me do some more interesting joinery like box joints which I did as a kid a couple times, but I never really considered using it till I started seeing some of the other guys on YouTube doing it. And I was like, well, let me get back into that and play around with, you know, doing some mm-hmm. box joints and doing box joints for stuff around the shop and trying to make things with a long, with more of a longevity in mind. You know, some guys are just brought up that way. I wasn't necessarily brought up with, like, I'm going to build something that's going to last forever. Right. That that sort of came to me more watching other guys on YouTube. Okay. To me, I was always like, and, you know, I read Reddit. You'll see how bad I'm accused of all these things. <laughs> oh, he just makes, slaps things together. And sometimes I feel I like am slapping things together. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have taken more time with that. But now, again, the influence of other YouTubers doing more long-term, like, you know, heirloom furniture. Um, um that's That was probably been my biggest inspiration.
0: Okay. New you, Bill?
1: It, uh
2: introduces me to things that I didn't know existed, I guess. Because again, I didn't grow up in this world. I come from, you know, I had an office job. I was a professional writer for 10 years. So woodworking was not something that I thought about. Making stuff was not something that I thought about. So being able to see other people's processes, and even if I don't make the kind of things that they make or do the kind of things that they do, I might pick up something from watching one of their videos or just their aesthetic or... You know, just their technique, anything, but it'll it'll teach me something that I will end up using later. Right, right. So, and I think just that access to information uh is probably the biggest way that it's changed my uh
0: thing. Okay. Well, before we I wrap, that that you. <laughs> I'm, like I'm supposed to be the word guy, and I'm calling it the thing. Well, this is audio. If you were writing it down, you'd you'd have edited that out. This is why I write <laughs> because I can edit. Uh, before we wrap this up, i got one bonus question, specifically for Jimmy. Um, my understanding, having talked to you, Bill, is that our other friend, Bill, wants to know this. What's a Duresta?
1: Uh, what is a Duresta? <laughs> it's a half-Guinea, half-Irish, handmade fix-it man. <laughs> it's the best answer I've heard.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank you both so much for coming on with us, and uh, where can people find out more about you online? Not that they know already if they're listening to this, but...
1: Just a them. For me, I always say, "Google me." You get the most variety of stuff. My YouTube page, my YouTube page, of course, is one thing. My web page is something that always needs to be updated. Which you know, the minute you're done, you think you're done, it's like out oh. kind of date in a week. So it's that's always been a difficult thing for me. My buddy, who does my web page, is somebody that it just is having a baby, and he's got a new house, and so my web page is probably going to be stale for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Bill.
2: Well, you can find me at One Car Workshop on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I also host the podcast Makers Hustle, so you can check that out. You can find Jimmy on Making It, by the way.
1: Another great podcast, probably right. the,
2: like, the maker podcast.
1: Oh, thank you. That's oh, great. you know what? I'm going to announce right here. Is it ready? Yeah, we're we're ready. ready. Drop a bomb. You could tell everybody I'm dropping okay. a bomb right here because it just happened. Nick Hoffman's going to be on the show. Oh. Excellent. Excellent. October 10th. I hate you. <laughs> he wrote to me and said, Hey, can I come on your podcast to promote my new book? So he's coming on. Wow. Bob and Dave have flipped out. This was last night. Oh you you saw me you get the message. Yeah. And then I yeah. told him then we, we ironed it all out in the evening. I was, I was feigning surprise, Jimmy. I was trying to play up I forgot. Now yeah, you ruined it. It's ruined. It's
2: done. But yeah, check out uh, the Makers Hustle podcast. Although no one's going to listen now, they're going to want to listen to making it because Nick Offerman's going to be on. We do have an episode with Jimmy DiResto, so you're one degree from Nick Offerman. That's cool. One uh, degree. But yeah, One Car Workshop. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and various other media i also occasionally freelance for make magazine so check that out too excellent
0: well thank you both so much i appreciate it sure
2: man